0: Hello and welcome to A Long Time in Finance with Jonathan Ford and Neil Collins in partnership with Briefcase.news, the service that brings intelligent curation and analysis to your media monitoring. We're here today to pick up a discussion about the law and lawfare. Now, friends of the show will remember a few weeks ago we had a discussion about a number of lawfare cases involving Russians suing people. What do you call them, Neil? You call them slappers. Yeah,
1: well, they, they're called slaps, so they're called <laughs> slappers, it seems to me. It's <laughs> a very suitable um, way to describe these wretched people. Yeah, They're not interested in any sort of judgment. They're just wanting to slap you hard enough so you, you shut, shut up.
0: up. Yeah, exactly. Well, so very interesting judgment this week, which has certainly set the... Dinner party tables of <laughs> London. A buzz involves the case of Aaron Banks, the Brexit dark lord, I suppose, one way of pointing it. He put a lot of money into the Brexit campaign, ran the thing called Leave EU, which was the Slightly less respectable part of. It. I think <laughs> see, unofficial. I, I think is the right <laughs> phrase. I think
1: you could say it was the militant wing. The of militant the, wing yeah. of, of of the campaign to get us out of the, the EU.
0: European Union. Anyway, and he was fighting a libel case with a journalist called Carol Cadwallader, basically over things she had said about him colluding with Russians in relation to Brexit. And basically, even though Carol Cadwallader wasn't able to demonstrate anything that she had said. Well, the specific allegations to do with Russia had substance. The judge basically said, doesn't matter, it's not uh, libel, which, of course, is really interesting. And so we thought we'd get back Mark Stevens from Howard Kennedy, very distinguished libel solicitor, to basically pick over the bones of this judgment. And what does it actually mean for the whole situation about lawfare in this country now? are we moving away from a world in which the slaps can be administered to poor old hacks like us on a regular basis? So welcome, Mark.
1: Lovely to be here. (laughs) It's a very hot day. So, (laughs) So after that, what is your first take on this judgment?
2: I think one of the key things here is that slaps are strategic lawsuits against public participation, and essentially... Often, the plaintiff doesn't expect to win, but expects to visit fear, intimidation, massive cost, and also suck bandwidth out of the individual's ability to carry on normal life, in this case as a writer. And the idea is essentially to punish and to gather data, but winning is almost secondary. In this particular case... Aaron Banks said that he wanted vindication, which is what the English libel system is designed to give. But the problem with this is that these slap cases, or lawfare as they've also been known, the takeaway from this case is that the judge didn't think this was a slap. Mrs. Justice Karen Stain, very smart judge, didn't think that it was right to do that. And my big takeaway is, Judges haven't quite understood what slap is yet. They haven't understood the multifaceted ways in which people, particularly the rich and powerful, seek to censor. Now, in this particular case, because the allegations that Aaron Banks had lied about a secret relationship with the Russian government and that he had funneled funds to the militant Brexit campaign was untrue, completely false. But that was the allegation that Carol Cadwallader made. And he wanted vindication. But he also, I think, it's fair to say or observe that he appears to want retribution against Carol Cadwallader. I mean, it would be a very normal human reaction, but he does seem to want to discourage her from covering him. And of course, she was not protected by a newspaper because he sued her on her own.
0: Can I just jump in, just for the for the listeners? I wanted to actually just go to the details of the case and the two specific things which were effectively being disputed. One was a TED Talk, which she gave sometime, I think, in 2018, in which she said, and I'm going to not try and do a Carol Cadwallader impression on this occasion, she said... And I'm not even going to get into the lies that Aaron Banks has told about his covert relationship with the Russian government. So that was the first. And then the second was on Twitter, where she responded, I think, to a kind of baiting tweet from Banks saying he was unhappy about her TED talk by posting a link to the TED talk and saying, oh, Aaron, this is too tragic. Nigel Farage's secret funder, Aaron Banks, has sent me a pre-action letter this morning. He's suing me over this TED Talk. If you haven't watched it, please do. I say he lied about his contact with the Russian government because he did. Those were the things that she said and he contested. Now, one of the things which struck me about it was initially she said she was going to defend those in court on the basis that they were true. And then she withdrew that and said, actually, they're not true. Or I can't prove they're true. Mm. And amended her defence to being one of saying it's a, a public interest. I mean, can you explain to us what was the reason that the judge... As far as I can understand, there was no suggestion at the end of the case that these allegations that she'd made were true or substantiable. So what was the public interest issue which made the judge say... Doesn't really matter in the end what the truth was in this case.
2: The the issue was that there was a public interest in debating whether or not a major funder of the Brexit campaign had actually got links to Russia. And potentially there had been rumors swirling around that money may have been funneled from the Russian state or major Russian actors through intermediaries, some with or some without their knowledge to the Brexit campaign. And of course, the foreign funding of a Brexit campaign, even covertly, would be a major issue of huge public importance. So that was what she was seeking to address. There had been suspicions about this and she thought it ought to be investigated and she made these allegations. Now, at the time, it was perhaps something legitimate to say, this needs to be investigated. We need to be sure that the Brexit campaign did not receive funding directly or indirectly from people who were doing it on behalf of Russian interests. That was a major, major point. And when she gave her TED talk, that was essentially what she was saying. But then in response to the baiting tweet, she doubles down on it and goes from there are grounds to suspect or we should investigate to a a, a much higher meaning because she says it's true. The problem with it once you say it's true is that you then have to prove it. The burden of proof is on the speaker, on the writer, on the journalist.
1: The odd thing is that your summary is excellent and I would have expected the judgment to go completely the other way. So why do you think the judge ruled the way that she did?
2: The judge ruled in the way she did for two reasons. So in relation to the TED talk, she says this was a matter of legitimate public interest and it was something that should have been debated and should have been discussed. We in this country give a degree of latitude to people who ask for things like that to be discussed and investigated. On the other hand, later on, when she knew that this was an untruth and she repeated it, normally you would expect the court to say that's defamatory and you've got to pay for it. But we have an odd little quirk in our law, which is that you have to show, as a person who's been defamed, that you have suffered severe damage to your reputation. Now, that can be a number of people who are very influential learning about it, but a few in number, or it could be a mass media kind of publication. And the judge said in relation to that second one, although it was defamatory and untrue, insufficient people had essentially seen it, and the substantial harm threshold hadn't been surmounted. And therefore, Carol Cadwallader won, in the sense that the libel claim was thrown out, But the libel claim was interestingly, and I think for the first time that I'm aware of, it was thrown out with a vindication. So Aaron Banks walks away with a judge saying in a reason's judgment, it is untrue that he funneled Russian money to the Brexit campaign. And it's cost him quite a lot to get that vindication because he lost the substance of the case. He'll be paying most of Carol Cadwallader's legal costs.
1: So how much comfort can the people who are pursuing the oligarchs draw from this judgment? How much does it help people like Tom Burgess, who we had on this programme?
2: I think it helps a bit. There is clearly a distaste for these kinds of claims, but it also acts as a salutary warning, be very careful. If you can't prove something, you shouldn't be saying it but there is obviously a very practical difficulty. For years now, there's been a lot of corruption in Russia. And as we know, corruption is very, very difficult to report on and also to prove Mm. to the standard that's required in court with direct firsthand evidence, because they're often no first-hand evidence. And it's even more difficult in a closed state. And it's even more difficult when they're abroad and you can't subpoena documents. I myself practiced there for many years in the late 80s. And I did a series of libel cases both here and there. And in one of them, I actually managed to get the proof of the wrongdoing, the corruption, because the person on the other side had apparently corrupted a senior KGB officer. And I managed to get in touch with his younger junior officer, who was really frustrated that A, his boss was blocking this because he'd taken a bribe, and that the target of the investigation had been insufficiently careful to make sure that all the people on the team received their own fair share. So he delivered all the documents over to me, which I was then able to introduce. The counterpoint to that was that the man took a contract out on me and sent assassins here, and I had to have security service personnel around. But this is really only to demonstrate that we're only a smidging away from serious physical harm and intimidation. And that is really what these suits are about. It's about chilling down the ability of people to speak about these things, which they cannot prove, but they suspect.
0: One of the things which struck me about it, we talked before about slaps on another episode. One of the points that you and David Hooper, who was on that episode, also made, was this feeling that in certain cases, judges should basically... Dismiss some of these cases. Now, in this particular case, one of the things which the judge did, which I thought was quite interesting but probably isn't, was she said, Well, look, Aaron Banks, you know, you say you've been defamed and it's terribly damaging to you, but you can't produce any evidence of anything bad that has happened (laughs) at all. Now, it strikes me that that is very relevant in the slap cases because, you know, Roman Abramovich brings these cases or whoever it might be and yet they're just suing over some old kind of nonsense which everyone has been talking about for years.
1: Well, they have the ability to throw it out, haven't they? Well, I don't know, do um, they? But they, you say it's so very seldom used because the judge will say, oh, well, it'll all come out at the trial which, of course, is the, just what just the oligarchs want to hear. Because but what
0: do you make of it, Mark?
1: I think there's a couple of things going on here. I think the British judiciary
2: have started to wake up to intimidatory lawsuits. And frankly, you know, libel has always been a rich person's sport in the sense that you have to have millions to be able to throw at these kinds of cases and either to bring the case or to defend it. And if you are impecunious then it's only someone like Helen Steele and Dave Morris, the McLibel couple, who defended themselves in court and were basically earning support from the government that were able to, to defend themselves. But the point about this is that the judges are only beginning to start to grapple with the problems of people bringing lawsuits for the purpose of intimidation. You know, this was a case which had obviously had some merit. All cases that are slaps have some merit. And this is what Justice Karen Stane missed, is that you can only bring a case if you've got a case or an arguable case that you can bring. But the purpose in bringing it is collateral. It's not just about vindication, which is what libel should be about. It's also to exact other behaviours and responses on the people who you are bringing it against. And that's why I think it was fairly described by many people as a slap case, because the purpose of it was, you know, on the one hand, Aaron Banks will say it was to give me a vindication. But on the other hand, it was hugely expensive for Carol Cadwallader. She wouldn't have been able to do it without crowdfunding.
1: Yeah, you know, it, was, it was intimidation. I mean, I don't think there's any question of it. And I think that if the courts are starting to see that that's a weapon in the armoury of these people, then that is surely a step forward. But is there any other evidence that they are doing so, other than this case?
2: I think it's an issue which certainly within the media bar and the media lawyers in London, we are talking about and the judiciary are part of that conversation. But we have a law, the libel law, you know, was designed when it was first brought into place to be an alternative dispute resolution for young men who were dueling over supposed slights and blots on their family escutcheon. You know, they were not intended for ordinary people. They were between two wealthy individuals. And the idea was to stop them killing each other, or one of them at least. And so the, the <laughs> purpose now is that libel cases are always expensive. The cheapest you'll get away is £500,000 on, on one side. But most of them are in the one, two, and the Johnny Depp type cases in sort of four or five million to take them. So they are hugely expensive and they are not within reach of ordinary people.
0: But the, presumably the answer isn't to bring back dueling.
1: Oh, I think there's <laughs> a lot to be said for it, especially if the oligarchs start dueling uh, each that other. Would take,
0: that would be a novel twist on the. Uh,
1: <laughs> but what should the judge have More done? More entertaining in this case? for the rest of us.
0: But what you, you said—you thought the judge hadn't kind of entirely twigged what was going on what do you think she should have done in this case do do you think she should have acted differently
2: yeah i think justice required to understand and to make an investigation of the motives of the person bringing it i don't think you can just say the person says that they want vindication the law gives them that right and therefore they're entitled to do it I think you have to look at the wider issues that are in play. And it's always been that rich and powerful people have used and abused the libel law in order to silence their critics. And in many ways, the purpose in doing it can be seen by the effect of doing it. And that, I think, is the crucial part to judge. So in this case, just because there was a legitimate case for Aaron Banks to argue it doesn't, I think, follow that it is therefore not a slap. And this is part of the nuance and the education of the British judiciary, which will have to happen. And this will evolve over a number of years and cases. But what should they do with a slap?
0: Should they just throw it out? Is that really the ultimate thing where you a judge should say, here's a set of principles. If I tick all the boxes, it's a slap and therefore... I'm sorry, people, you can't bring this case before because it's just a—it's just designed to gag people. Is that really where you think it should go?
2: Look, there is a place for it. But I think what you do is that you have to look at the impact. So if you take these kinds of cases, this case would have never got to the court door in the United States of America, because of the First Amendment to the Bill of Rights. The reality is, has it had a significant impact on their lives? And It hasn't had really, as we saw from the court case and the judge found, any impact discernibly on Aaron Banks, but it does seem to have had a disproportionate impact on Carol Cadwallader.
1: Yeah, well, he could easily have bankrupted her. She has paid, even if all her costs are covered, which probably won't be, she has paid dearly for this, even though she won. Assuming that Banks goes through with his appeal. Do you think he would win the appeal or win, will win the appeal? I think that, that under the current law, it's possible
2: that he will win it because the judge took a fairly robust view on lack of damage. And I think there is the possibility that the Court of Appeal could take a different view. Reasonable people can differ on this. But this is the opportunity for the Court of Appeal setting a precedent to restate how the law should be looked at. Hmm. When we brought in this substantial harm case, I was the lawyer who brought it forward. And essentially, a Saudi billionaire sued over seven internet hits on an article which defamed him. And in that case, the House of Lords said, actually, that hasn't caused any substantial harm to his reputation because most of the people who hit on it were his lawyers and people who knew him and didn't hold <laughs> to the reputation.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And
2: that was quite a robust judgment. But lots of lawyers have sought to row that back and erode that rather robust statement of law, because obviously it suits libel lawyers to earn significant coin from their rich clients.
0: Yeah, can I just ask, speaking as somebody who occasionally partakes of Twitter, because as far as I could make out from what the judge said, she said, well, Twitter's a bit of an echo chamber. Carol Cadwallader was just tweeting to her supporters. She have got quite a few. She's got a 770,000 now. I think she had slightly fewer in those earlier times. So it's an echo chamber. Everyone who would have seen the tweet basically hated uh, banks anyway, so it doesn't really make any difference. It strikes me, though, that that rather conflicts with a case I remember from a few years ago involving... The wife of John Burko, Sally Burko, who was sued by Lord mcalpine for <laughs> for for re- i think even just retweeting something but that seemed to reach a different conclusion, which was basically actually i don't think she had half as many followers as Carol Cadwallader. And basically, it was deemed to be a publication and, and harmful.
2: So where does the law now stand? Well, it's in a bit of a, a mess. So the case that you've just talked about, where Sally Berko said, why is Lord Macalpine trending innocent face? She was obviously trying to draw attention to people and signpost something which was defamatory. The question is whether that did Lord Macalpine some major harm this case, the judge has taken a much more robust view of substantial harm. I think she's rightly said, you know, on social media, it is something of an echo chamber, but also you get almost the pure theory of democracy in the sense that you hear all shades and colours of opinion. So if you make a statement, then it's likely to be rebutted. And so Bain and Antidote is going in pretty much in equal measure. I think many of these things are sort of over the garden fence, gossipy type tweets. Well, that sounds very encouraging.
1: So it's a small step in the right direction. (laughs) But uh, if she loses on appeal, she's on the hook again for the costs. She is.
2: And again, she will be bankrupted and she will have no alternative but to take this up to the Supreme Court. The law needs a bit of dealing with how do we actually look at Substantial harm. What is it that we are trying to protect existentially about a reputation, and what is it that really causes harm to a person in the modern day?
0: So, Neil, so who are you planning to go off and accuse someone in oh, your column of oh, almost uh, certainly of, yeah. of colluding with the Chinese you know, or the Russians?
1: And I can think of no better way of generating favourable publicity a amongst my <laughs> fellow hacks. But unlike Carol, I am not prepared to risk bankruptcy uh, for so doing. So until this is resolved, right. I think I will stick to my pusillanimous approach for which I am so well known.
0: <laughs> so here from Coward Central. That's, that's all we've got time for.
1: <laughs> that was A Long Time in Finance with Jonathan Ford and Neil Collins. Editing and production is by Nick Hilton and our sponsorship partner is Briefcase.news. Join us again next week.